0: everyone. Welcome back or welcome to an all new episode of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckis. This week's guest is Will Taylor. Will's currently the head of partnerships at Partner Hacker. Will first started studying psychology in college and mindset has been a major focus for him throughout his entire career. Now, Will preaches the importance of partnerships and now works at Partner Hacker, which is the number one source of clarity, news, and connection in the partnerships world. In this week's episode, we discussed aligning work with passions, getting excited with discomfort, reframing anxiety into excitement, the importance of connecting with others at your company, making the big jump from sales to partnerships, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Will Taylor. Will, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to dive in. This is going to be amazing.
0: Well, you know, we've been back and forth a couple of times. We've obviously, we actually worked at the same company at Vidyard for a little while and we didn't know each other then. But as I believe, like the universe always brings people into your life and into your community and your network when you need them to. And I feel like between all of the, the mutual connections that we have already being in a lot of the same social channels and the same groups, I'm so excited to chat with you. Now, one of the big things we're going to be talking about today is partnerships. Specifically, you know, my next role is going to be around building out a GTM and sales motion for an an early stage startup. Right. So I want to learn partnerships. But before that, before we even talk about the early use for you as well, you just mentioned when we were warming up here that the work that you're doing right now is completely aligned with what your life mission is. How did you actually get to that point in I mean, like the main focus is p- more people need to get there. How does that feel? and how did you get there?
1: Yeah. so I originally started cultivating this when I was in my first sales role, and the reason I got into sales was because I wanted to connect with more people and really understand how I can guide an interaction while also persuading them to, of course, become better in whatever they're doing,, uh, which we'll probably get into for my my educational background and why that's important to me. but I cultivated this sense of duty where when I woke up every day and I'm going to my nine to five, You know, it can be pretty exhausting to to do work and whatnot, and you can dislike your job and whatnot. But for me, it was the opposite. I was like, I have to do this. This is my purpose. This is my mission. I need to be able to learn these mechanisms so that I can have the impact on the world that I want to have. And so having that flip for me got me so fired up to try my best, but also to really lean in and learn as much as I can. And how that's manifested into partnerships is, you know, originally I wanted to learn the one-to-one interaction, how I can impact an individual and move them forward to, you know, finding the solution that fits best for their current challenges, which has implications to other areas of life. And now in partnerships, I'm thinking about how can I create an impact at scale that creates a world where everyone can win together and where we're all working together towards a common goal. I think that has massive implications to society community even your you know romantic relationships and your personal relationships having that mentality for me when i get to wake up every day and really lean into learning those skills it is so empowering for me to do the things that i want to do while also of course getting paid because that is necessary for survival and whatnot so aligning that passion with the work that i'm doing it uh, it definitely was a conscious effort. I thought about what are the skills that I'm learning that are transferable, and how can they actually benefit me in the future? It's not just me doing the job just so I can go home and you know cash that paycheck. It's me learning those things so that when I go to the next thing in life, or you know I leave work and I get into a one on one interaction, how can I use those skills to become a better version of myself? And so uh, that has manifested across my career since I started
0: that's amazing. You know, you know, you're speaking my language and the listeners know you're speaking my language when you're talking about the transferability of skills and the passion. But it sounds like a lot of this comes into you putting yourself in that right mindset, right? You, you have the opportunity to do these. You're fortunate to do these things versus I have to do these kind of things. And I think that the the psychology side of things is really important. And I know that you studied that at the university of Waterloo, but taking a step back before we talk there. Tell us a little bit more about how you were as a child. Did you, were you always interested in the psychology side of things or what does, you know, like tell us how you were as a kid.
1: Yeah. So I was extremely reserved as a kid. I wouldn't say I was too shy. Maybe when I was like really little, I was was pretty shy, but then it became me being so comfortable with, you know, not really engaging with people that. I continued on with that because it was very comfortable and, and very complacent. And so I started, you know, seeing my peers interacting with others and, you know, they were having fun and it's not by any means that I was uh, like an outcast or anything. I had, you know, good friends and good networks of, of people that I was connected to. I was actually friends with like a bunch of different groups of people. I meshed well with, you know, the sports players, the the kids who studied hard and, and so on. And so the observation of those other people interacting, it was something that I felt uh, a little bit disconnected from because I was so reserved. I wasn't engaging with the world around me. I was just observing it. And what that then led to was I had the realization that I'm not really experiencing life as much as I would have hoped to. And so that's where the interest in psychology came in, where I figured, okay, well, it's dealing with people that I am most interested in, where I observe it and it seems so interesting. So I started to think about, okay, what can I learn? What can I educate myself on so that I can learn the mechanisms that are underlying you know, how we actually interact with each other? Uh, And philosophy was a, a part of it as well, because I started learning about personal responsibility and morality and all of these things. And it was extremely compelling for me to think, okay, morality, this is like obviously very close to my heart. I'm I'm very empathetic and compassionate, and I want to have an impact that is for the greater good. And of course, understanding what all of that means was learning through the philosophy of morality. And then existentialism was a big thing for me as well for learning, what do I actually have control over? What can I actually take action on? What can I move forward in my life? And going from like the philosophical level of it is a fundamental thing of reality uh, that is perhaps beyond, you know, my biology. That was something that was extremely fascinating to me. And then, of course, the layer of psychology allowed me to bring that into reality for the more practical terms of how do I actually take action? Right, so it was how, mostly through,
0: yeah. Oh, I was going to say, how do you, how do you hit that, that making that rubber hit the road there as well? Because obviously it's so great to learn all of these philosophies and these life isms, I guess, or all of this stuff in in theory. But how do you actually take, in general, even if this, if this relates to even like building something out? I know you're, you're head of partnerships right now and you're doing some building, like taking that from something to nothing or hitting the rubber, hit the road. Was there anything from psychology or from the, like, how do you go about that?
1: Yeah, not necessarily psychology that I learned, but there was a book that I read that I recommend every single person reads. And it's a very easy and short read as well. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's by Ryan Holiday. Yeah, you got it. And uh, so it's all about doing the hard thing, going down the path of most resistance. That is where you'll find the most growth. I was in a position in my life where I was very comfortable. I was, you know, meeting my needs that I needed for, you know, financials and housing and whatnot. But I realized I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't really growing and I wasn't necessarily going anywhere. And I was fed up with that. I got extremely frustrated. So I quickly learned that. One doing the hard things is exactly what you should do, even if it makes you uncomfortable. You should get excited that you're uncomfortable. And now I'm at a point in my life where if something makes me feel uncomfortable or I fail at something, I am the like most excited person that you'll meet. Um, or if I'm facing conflict with a person, I, I I kind of get like oddly excited because it's an opportunity to grow. And I've, of course, I don't like conflict, and I don't right. necessarily want other people to feel like we have conflict, but I see it immediately as that opportunity to grow through it. And so how that manifest man, manifested for me in the past was business is a forcing function for growth. If you're hired for a role and you're responsible for specific tasks and you're, of course, accountable, especially in sales for you know, a number, you're carrying a quota then there's that forcing function of, hey, if I want to get paid, which I need to be paid for survival, mm-hmm. then I need to learn these skills and I need to actually execute. And so that paired with my desire to learn the actual interactions, that was a huge motivation where it's, it's almost like I could make no excuse to show up and try my best because one, I personally wanted to, and two, there was this environment that allowed me to do this in a way that was structured and it wasn't too ambiguous because what i find is when people think about oh i want to learn this new skill and maybe it's you know talking to people i've never met before if you think about that in your real life it's like where do i actually go to do that you know i could go to a bar that's kind of you know probably not the best environment to have the conversations you probably want to have you know you could talk to random people in like the service industry if you're you know grabbing a coffee but those are typically short lived because they have mm-hmm. to you know keep everything moving And so when you think about where can I develop these other skills for me, I feel like I got lucky where I've been, I'm in a city where there's a lot of tech companies. And so they kind of, one of them took a chance on me for becoming the first BDR at the company. And I learned there that I was like, oh, okay. So this is eight hours of me practicing the very thing that I want to practice and I'm getting paid to do it. Oh, this is amazing. And so it was kind of like that discomfort plus business, having that forcing function that really led me to understanding that. Um, to manifest those skills. You need to be in the world of that thing. And you have to have these forcing functions. You need to be in the environment all the time where it's like constant focus on that one thing. And then you're going to master it over time.
0: Yeah. And focus is one of those things that's really tough, especially with all those pings and dings and everything else. And I know that there's a couple of Slack notifications that just went off before when we were reading. So or when you were talking so kind of timely, but to the point being is like, it's so important to focus on what you need to be doing But I think it's really crucial and essential that you have taken that what I need to do and paired it with that why I need to do it. And I'm a huge why guy um, besides, uh, you know, obviously the Stoic mentality that you were mentioning with Ryan Holiday, obviously with the Daily Stoic and all of that, the Marcus Aurelius and all that stuff that he does more on that psychology side, um, really interesting. And I think that that's a great mentality to, um, to have. And I loved that book as well. But when we talk about, you know, you also mentioned like, the existential stuff and in really trying to be able to control the controllables. But I think it's great to be uncomfortable, but how do you tie that mixture of this is uncomfortable versus this is making me really anxious? Like, where's that line for you and how do you overcome that?
1: Yeah. So I think a really good practice that people can have is becoming aware of those feelings. So Uh, I'm benefited in the sense that I studied a lot of this stuff. So I know, you know, what the physiological response of becoming anxious is. So your heart rate increases, maybe you start sweating a bit more, maybe your breathing is a bit more shallow. Um, noticing those things will bring that awareness to, okay, so I am feeling this. What are the basic practices that I can do to moderate that? And I would say one of the best things you can do is control your breathing. It's very easy to do. You can slow it down. You take a moment. And really slowing things down, I think, is probably the best thing that you can do to manage any kind of um, physiological response to any kind of situation. So whether that is you know on a cold call or if you're in an argument with like your partner or something like that, or whatever it is, taking that moment is extremely powerful. Now, the second thing is kind of reframing the feelings. So an example of that is if you're about to go on stage, which I've only ever done once, and I'm it was a uh, in the past month or two. And it was a really cool experience because I got to practice all these things that we're talking about right now. I felt nervous and I felt a little bit of what would be anxiety, but the way I framed it in my head was, well, this is actually really similar to excitement. When you're excited, you know, you want to talk very fast. You want to um, you know, get your message out there. You're probably, you know, very energized, so you you might be shaking a little bit, and your heart rate's probably up a bit. And so, the physiological response of different emotions can manifest in similar ways. And so, if you reframe it in your mind of, okay, yeah, I'm getting this response, but maybe I'm just really excited because I'm passionate about this. And sure, it's like very exciting. I'm going to be up on stage for the first time. Uh, sure, I'm a little bit nervous, but it's mostly excitement because I've practiced this I, I've practiced this I've you know gone over my notes I have been really passionate about this for years and you know I've always wanted to talk about this those reframings can really help with managing that and then that paired with the actual physical uh, practices like slowing your breathing and whatnot that is very impactful as well uh, and then the last thing I'll mention on that is um I forget her name but she talks about how you can manage these emotions uh, while you're going through the situations and things like power poses. So standing up straight, it'll not only help your breathing, but it'll make you feel more confident, smiling more that actually has a physiological response in your brain that'll reduce the anxiety. So actually taking those practices um, will help out. And so if you are experiencing these things, then like I said, most basic thing you can do, take pause, take a deep breath or two, and then get back to it, um, you'll get used to the uncomfortable feeling as you do it more and more as well.
0: Yeah, that's so exciting. And it's, um, it's, it's really interesting too that you took that same experience as, as I start to embark onto this new venture of, of my own as well. It's the, I've always wanted to do this thing or I've been built for this or tying everything back. I think to your, your point is I've done this stuff before. I'm tying everything back to that experience that I had. Like, don't let that imposter syndrome come in here. I know what I'm doing and I know how to come about it. And I love the other reframing part of it as well. You use some psychology jargon here as well, or it, compartmentalizing your thoughts. Um, I am a big, do you, I'm assuming, do, or do you meditate? Do you have any kind of meditative practices? I do
1: meditative practices. I don't do the traditional sit there and, and think of nothing. I'll go on a walk and not really have a podcast and I'll just kind of be walking around. Or honestly, the gym is even meditative for me where I'm just like, so in my body and not really thinking about anything else, uh, that is meditative for me. And so, yeah, it helps to clear my mind.
0: And that's really, really important as well, because I, I, um, I started meditating, uh, just using headspace, uh, Five six years ago, at this point, I did it daily for a very very long time, and then dropped off a little bit, and, and now just really getting back into it, just harnessing the power of it. But even so, when I wasn't doing that, it's so important to be mindful when you're eating, to focus on how good that's tasting, or or to your point of exercising. Like a couple a week a couple weeks ago, I lost my AirPod case, so I actually had to go to the gym and run without my headphones for a couple days. And let me tell you, like. Talk about meditative. You only, you're only you're, you sitting with your own thoughts, your own reactions, which obviously I'm not afraid of any of those. However, it's really interesting that you you would typically just drown that out. So I know that uh, I shockingly had really great workouts and really great runs. And I'm actually going to start to not listen to podcasts as well as a part of that meditative um, portion as well.
1: Yeah, but anyway, oh, go ahead. I was, was going to mention, that's funny that you mentioned that uh, David Goggins, he does not listen to music when he works out. Uh, or at least most of the time he doesn't, he said, it's more of a crutch than anything, which I thought was really interesting. I still listen to music while I work out because I find it enjoyable. But yeah, when I walk around, no music or anything like that. And the last thing I'll mention on that is, it's actually from David Goggins. I don't know if he says this specifically, but whenever I'm in a hard situation, I remind myself, this is exactly what I've trained for. Everything up until that point, all the hard stuff I've done before that, This is the reason that I was doing all of that. You know, the intense moments in life, whether it's, you know, a fight with a loved one or, uh, you know, a really uncomfortable situation, either at work or in public or something like that, reminding yourself, this is what I trained for, it brings the sense of strength back to you. And uh, I've gone through that many times. And you will be extremely proud of yourself when you come out of that situation thinking, okay, that is what I trained for. I executed, I did my best. I was, you know, I showed up and I was my best self in that moment. You're going to look back on those moments after telling yourself, this is what I trained for. And you're going to never regret anything that you've done and experienced.
0: Dude, I'm so pumped. And I hope the listeners are as well. I hope if you're running right now, maybe, well, maybe you're not running because you don't have your headphones in, but um. <laughs> oh. This is, this is super exciting, and I, I think it's it's just so crucial um, to focus on everything that, uh, that Will just mentioned and really honing in and, and giving yourself that strength and that confidence like you've done it before and you could do it again. I know that, that that's amping me up here as well, Will. All right, let's dive further. Obviously, I think it's very clear why you went to University of Waterloo and studied psychology. Then moving forward, you said, you know what? I am going to be going into, I'm going to go become a small business specialist. What does that even mean? And why did you go from psychology to a, to sales?
1: Yeah. So honestly, I, I kind of fell into it. Uh, I didn't want a another service job because uh, I experienced it. And then I thought, okay, that was, that was enough for me. I want to go somewhere where I can have a little bit higher earning potential. So sales was that opportunity. And um, I guess making the choice to work at a Canadian telecom thought, at the time was a, a really good idea <laughs> and i had a lot of great experiences there in terms of working for a telecom but yeah it was uh i just kind of fell into it honestly i had friends that were working in the same area and then i got introduced to it and the higher earning potential was appealing to me and yeah, that specific role was a bit more specialized in focusing on helping businesses. So that was my first step into the more businessy world because my family, my background, has not been business focused whatsoever. It's all like trades and whatnot. So it's not like I was around it or really understood any of it. And so that exposure was a really good first
0: step. And talk about just really quick, what what did uh, I know? You mentioned your family's in the trades. Mine is as well. What what did they what did they do? And ultimately, how did that help you in your professional career as well?
1: So my dad was an electrician um, at the same company. It was a brewery in London, Ontario for 27 years or so. And then uh, he actually had an early retirement as well at about 55 or so. And my mom, she was a travel agent and then also worked at a call center for life insurance. Um, And so what did it teach me? Hmm. I've never actually thought about that because uh, the work ethic I think would be the, the primary thing because... Those types of jobs are very monotonous. There's not a lot of diversity, and uh, especially in like the more trade focused um, trade focused jobs, you're of course working with small things and with your hands a lot. And you know maybe something breaks and you fix it, and then the next month it breaks and you fix it. It's kind of repetitive, and so I think the the actual work ethic and really showing up, and then seeing my dad come home and and cook dinner uh, while my mom was you know working later, that was something that I think really impacted me is. Yeah, overall the work ethic, I'd say.
0: I love that. And I, I think that that break and fix and finding the problem and solving the solution. I feel like from the uh, electrical standpoint or electrician standpoint from your dad, I'm sure that helped. I know my dad was a is a um, a brick mason. So I've done a ton of different physical labor. so that really taught me that hard work and determination and grit and pushing through things that you don't want to do. Um, and then I know to your point on the on the mom side, obviously, you know, in the you know with the travel agency, Obviously, she's working with a lot of customers, finding out what that ideal solution is for what they, what they would like their ultimate trip to be and working backward. I could hear a lot of sales motion in there as well. Uh, maybe it's grasping too much, but um, I think, I think it's there as well. All right. Yeah. So you, went, you were doing a small business specialist, and then you said, you know what? Bonfire's coming in here, and they're going to make me their first BDR. Talk about what it's like to become the first of something at a company.
1: Yeah, so I was still pretty reserved at this time as well. And so being the first BDR at a company, and so I guess a uh, good preface is Bonfire is a procurement software for government organizations. And if you don't know what procurement is, most people don't, or if they do, they probably don't like procurement because <laughs> it's a barrier to buying things. Um, but it's it's very important. It's the strategic buying of goods and services. And so not only did I have to learn that, but I also had to learn what the heck is a BDR. And so you asked me what it's like, what it's like is at least for the first two weeks, for me, it was maybe about four weeks. It is stress, sweating in a call room, trying to get your dials out and uh, sitting with that uncomfortable feeling of, oh yeah, I got to talk to these people who are established in their career and I'm breaking up their day by giving them a call and trying to, of course, pitch a solution. But you of course get used to that and you get better at it and you change your perception of these people actually need my support. And so when you can reframe it, you get more comfortable with it, it starts to become a really good opportunity to learn about yourself. But then also in my situation, because I was the first, I got to build out the processes. I got to build out you know, where are we actually going to focus our efforts in terms of business development. And so a small recommendation here is if you ever have the opportunity to join a smaller company, then I would say go for it because there's a lot of room for growth and learning, especially because that company is going to be growing as you're going through the role and the the responsibilities and your own growth as well. It provides a lot of growth opportunities. Even if you're already at a more established company, there's a really valuable lesson that I learned. And it's this, it'll help you whether you're selling or whether you're in a position at a company that is growing. No business knows exactly what to do all the time even if they have a thousand employees, 10,000 employees, things change. The buying market changes, the landscape of technology changes. And so you always have a message of value and a solution that you can bring to these businesses. Again, whether you're selling something to them, or if you're again in the role and your business themselves are growing, they don't know everything. So you should build things. And that's going to be extremely impactful for your impactful on your career. And that's what I've taken with me to every single role that I've had. I focus on what can this business that I work for improve at, and how can I help that? Regardless of if it's in my roles or responsibilities, if I want to do it, then I'm going to do it because I know I'm going to learn a lot. And that's going to be another feather in my cap that I can say, hey, I did this. So this is why
0: I'm great. I love that. And I love the fact that the most successful people that I know, including yourself, jump out of whatever just that role is. So many people just stay in that little cookie cutter of, hey, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. That's not the case because it's your job. Like you're the, you're the owner of yourself and of your experience. It's not your boss. It's not their boss. It's not even your parents when you're an adult, right? It's you. It's your responsibility to go out and be the best person that you can and get better, get 1% better every day or, or whatever, 10% better, whatever it is. You need to focus on that and taking that same experience of, hey, no matter what I do, to your point earlier as well, tying it back, no matter what you're doing, if you're in a great situation, take what that is, learn that experience and run with it and replicate that for the future. But if it's something that's bad, you better sit in that and understand why it's bad and learn from it and say, hey, I was in this really terrible situation. However, what's happening here, I will make sure that I, if I'm ever in this situation again, I am not going to handle it this way, or I'm going to make sure that I don't make somebody else feel this way because I know how terrible that was. Before we move into the rest of your career, any other thoughts on that?
1: Um, I would say, regardless of your role, if you're either just starting your career or honestly, you know, far into your career, one of the most powerful things that you can do outside of the thing that I mentioned of building is connect with other individuals in your organization. Again, this is the whole idea of don't just show up and do your job and go home. Obviously there will be days days that you you want to do that, but create connections, create relationships with these people. And here's why. Those people will teach you not only about the business, because you of course will probably talk about the business that you're in, and that will make you better at your role So you're literally gathering more skills and more expertise from these people, but you'll also develop these connections that will benefit you in the future. And I imagine we'll talk about it when we get into the partnership side of things, but the deposits that you make to the people around you in your network, those will pay dividends in the future when you need something or when you need advice or guidance on anything. Or of course, if you just want to catch up with someone, you'll have people to turn to. So I would say connecting with people in your organization, whether you're day one or day 100, Thousand or whatever. If you're working at a company that long, connect That's with a people. long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what that translates to to years, but <laughs> you get the point. Yeah, so connect with people. It will benefit you greatly. Uh, it is not a you know corny quip to say your network is your net worth. I have been uh, a living example of that which again we'll get into on the partnership well side. yeah i mean
0: let, let's jump into that right now because some of your next before we even do that obviously you've been in the, you were a bdr there at bonfire right. and then you turned to ae and then you took that the trip over to partner the partner side of things what is the benefit uh while we're diving into this partnership side now what lessons did you learn from being a bdr and an ae to ultimately make you really good at the partnership side of things
1: so I am a firm believer that nobody in the world will take action on something if they are not properly enabled to do that. And what that means is if they don't have a clear path forward on what they need to do and why they need to do it, then no one's going to take action, especially if you're asking them to do it because they have their day-to-day to focus on. They have their own business problems and goals and targets and all that. And so one of the most powerful things that I learned in sales was If I am able to clearly paint the picture of the path to success for someone else, then I can do anything. And uh, that's not a hyperbole because it does manifest into partnerships in the sense that when you make the jump from sales to partnerships, sales is a one-to-one connection, one individual with another individual. You do have to engage other stakeholders, but for the most part, you're working on like a one-to-one conversation basis. Partnerships is an entire business engaging with another entire business that serves the same client. And so when you're trying to motivate an entire business alongside with your entire business, there's a lot of moving parts and that clarity and that simplicity and that path to success needs to be even more clear and it needs to be an even more compelling story. So I would say that has been one of the most impactful skills that I learned in sales, bringing into partnerships, because uh, if you think again about the individual has their own specific goals in mind. A whole business has goals in mind and there's a lot more in terms of resources and needs to achieve those. And so if you're trying to say, hey, we should do this partnerships thing and it's not clear how it's going to benefit their business, they're not going to take action. And that goes back to what I started this with, where if people aren't enabled or you know given the path to success as clearly and simply as possible, then they're not going to prioritize it because they know what works because they do their day-to-day and you're not part of that day-to-day.
0: Right. And if it's not simple, then, and there has to be some type of lift status quo is easy. And we're not, we're not going to um, try to divert away from that, especially if it is, is easy. Now, I would love the fact that you're mentioning all about the, it sounds like partnerships is, it takes two people to, or I'm sorry, yeah, two people or two groups to be a partner. And it needs to be mutually beneficial for others. I think that it's too many sales reps specifically. I, mean, I think it's great that you took your sales skills and using it for good now in the partnerships world. But I feel like there's way too many sales reps who just specifically focus on what is in this for me? How is this going to help me? But ultimately, even when I was selling in my first job, I was using a lot of channel partnerships and relationships and account mapping and doing all of this stuff to where it was a lot of the partner type sales to begin with. So I completely understand the importance of that. Now, talking about a little bit more, you mentioned about your network is your net worth um, or or I guess not saying that phrase because that's cheesy. But um, (laughs) talking about you're making all of these deposits. Um, when, when, with the posts that you're posting on LinkedIn, when you're walking around Saster interviewing people and giving them that content, all of these things—they're all making deposits so that later on, you, you could you could withdraw that. And now that's kind of where I'm at right now in in my career moving forward. Is I've been laying the groundwork with this podcast for the past two years in building relationships and personal brand. And now I'm at the point where I'm starting to to go out and you know become a, a head of sales in GTM. So now I'm going back and I'm talking to a lot of those people. I didn't have asks from them previously, but now it's coming back and saying, hey, by the way, I I typically, and not even, I don't don't even say this, but I haven't really had that many asks to you, but I I do have this ask now, how would you do this if you were in my position? And it's amazing to feel that sense of community and that camaraderie and just that like ton of people coming in and, and really trying to make you feel better about what you're doing and help you. Now, is that the essence of of partnerships as well? Like just having those similar people and even outside of helping each other mutually from a a revenue standpoint, like partnerships are really good to help from a psychological and like a, hey, other people are going through this same thing as well. How how has partnerships been a, helped your psychology as well?
1: Yeah, so big question, but I have, uh, I definitely have an answer and I'll zoom out for a second. On, if we look at the way that buyers have changed their behavior within engaging with companies, uh, there has been a loss of trust across, you know, establishments across the institutions. There is a record high of a decrease uh, or a distrust in the government and also in like corporations and whatnot. Uh, buyers have more power than ever. And that is what we need to focus on when it comes to the relationships that we build. Because if you approach someone and you're immediately going for an ask, they're going to smell it right away that they're either, you know, you're either trying to sell them something or you're just trying to use them as a means to an end. Nobody wants to be used as a means to an end. They care about themselves first. So they're going to protect themselves first. They're going to prioritize themselves first. So knowing that to build trust in others, if you give to them, which again, like I just said, that's the number one thing they care about is what is, are my goals as an individual? How do I win? That's what I'm going to focus on. If you give to someone first, then you know later down the line, you ask them of something. What they're going to remember is what was my first interaction with Will? He gave me something. So of course, I'm going to you know, give back. The law of reciprocity applies here. But also the fact that that first interaction was so positive for them, it doesn't necessarily matter- what that ask is in the future, obviously it has to be reasonable, but they're just going to be more inclined to at least hear you out. And in a world where we're being served up 400 to 10,000 ads per day, and we're getting all these Slack messages and emails and pings and you know Instagram notifications, whatever, the attention is so dispersed that it's hard to become top of mind. And so how do you become top of mind? Well, you give that pleasant experience right from the get-go so that when they get any kind of exposure to you again, they think, wow, this was a good experience before. You know, Out of all of those ads that I get, this one was something that actually brought me value. So I'm going to direct my attention here. And the reason that that's important, especially in partnerships, is because if you're thinking about how do I stand out to these other partners when they could engage 100 different other partners... If you give to them first, you stand out immediately. And what that does in, in terms of building the connections with other people is you build a tribe. And we are very tribal in our nature. We want to have friends. We're very social creatures. Um, if you are alone for too long, like a lot of us were within COVID, then it starts to like bring anxieties and, and pains. And a lot of uh, negative stuff, of course, happened from that. And so we have this natural desire to connect with others and partnerships is the business function of that. And of course, giving to others is going to be a net positive in terms of how you can impact the ecosystem and the community. And so if you're constantly making deposits and, you know, your one-to-one interactions or uh, like what I do, building content, that is a give every single day, or at least Monday to Friday, then you will be creating that positive impact on people and they will also um, feel like you are more top of mind because you're also showing up more often. So if you're, you know constantly giving to people and constantly talking to people, then you stay top of mind and you're also positive in that top of mind.
0: I love so, that. I think that's I think that that's the importance of personal brand and in building that out as well in conjunction with partnerships because what you're doing with that portion is if somebody sees that will is putting out content every single day and he's that positive impression, when will Taylor gives you a call, you better believe that I'm answering the call and I want to help him however I can. So that I think is the crucial. That's like, that's one of the important things about social media and in personal brand that I've been trying to double down on as well, because it makes those ask as a seller or in partnerships or wherever you are, as a marketer, as a human being, people want to help you because they like you and trust you. Now I know we're just wrapping up here as well. Um, do you have a couple extra minutes after the hour or you, do you have a hard stop? I'm good. To okay, going. perfect. So let's dive in a couple final questions. As I mentioned before, I'm taking on this big, scary role of I'm going in one of the early, the, the first sales hire at, an, at, a, at a company, a software company. Would love to understand from your perspective, as I'm building out the GTM motion from the sales and marketing perspective, where do partnerships come in there and how important should that be on the priority list for me as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll drop some stats um, that will strongly validate this. So uh, about a year or two years ago, the VC firms were saying, yeah, you should invest in partnerships once you hit 100,000 or 100 million in in revenue. Um, Now, the most recent report from Bessemer was saying that their number one prediction for the cloud ecosystem is that partnerships is table stakes from day one. You need to be investing in partnerships from the get-go. If you're a company that just started, you need partnerships. And Andrew Chen wrote a book about this called The Cold Start Problem, and it focuses on the network effects. If you think about the number of companies that are alive today versus even 10 years ago, it has probably more than 10x. It's it's an insane amount. It's frightening. Yes. And so to stand out, how do you stay top of mind? Well, you tap into the network effects, where are there existing watering holes, where people, aka my buyers, congregate to, which are gonna be the podcasts, the video content, the influencers, the really cool brands, where are they already congregating to and how can I leverage that? So in starting a a partnership program, um, you need to focus on developing internal alliances first. The reason for that is because most people are trained on the traditional go-to-market methods. It's only you know this year that the VCs are saying you need a partnership strategy. And keep in mind, these are the VCs that have multiple companies in their portfolio. They can see across all of them who's performing well. And what they're now saying is, we're more likely to invest in a partner-led company, even if they have 50% the growth of a sales-led company. And the reason for that is because there's more sustained growth over time when you have a partnership strategy. Uh, I'll give you an analogy, and then I'll get back to some of the tactics. The analogy here is, The ecosystem you can think of as a forest, there's a body of water. That's where most of the animals, AKA your buyers congregate to. And then there are the trees that are in this forest. The businesses are the trees. And if you are a tree that is, you know, either closest to the watering hole or your roots grow closest to the watering hole and they entangle with all the other trees. Think about when there is economic downturn, you know, a whirlwind comes through in the forest. If your roots are so integrated into all these other trees, not only will you be not uprooted, but these others, these other trees, aka the companies, won't be uprooted as well because they can lean on each other. They can have their roots entangled and be more strong together. That's the exact premise of the uh, partnerships motion. And so VCs know this, and that's why they're making these predictions and why they're saying these things and advising companies, you need a partnership strategy. And so Most people are not trained like that. Most people are trained on, you know, spray and pray for, you know, sales and cold emails, cold calls, and that's still an important strategy. But developing those internal alliances is going to be extremely key to making sure that the company sees sustained revenue growth over time versus those traditional methods because it's harder than ever to break through the noise. And you break through the noise by associating with, quote unquote, the cool kids who are already, you know, dominating the industry in that buying persona. So developing that can look like, you know, day one, you're meeting with the marketing team. Day two, you're meeting with the product team. Day three, you're meeting with the success team. And from there, you're going to start growing those roots that you have internally so that when you need to ask something from them in the future, in the partnerships that you create, then you're going to be able to better call on them. So that's, I would say, my number one piece of advice, because the internal politics, if it's not developed uh, over time, then it'll crumble the interaction because everyone's going to think they're competing when in reality, we all need to work
0: together. I love that. So let's talk more tactical as well of, hey, day one, you're coming in here to a new company or after you already met with all those groups, because I am, I will be the marketing function. I will be the sales function in, in conjunction with a, a, just a handful of other folks, but where are you hanging out? Are you hanging out with the, the Rev Genius crowd and these groups and not to just call them out specifically, but like talking about dark, dark social and talking about partnerships or even giving giving some, uh, I know like the Sendoso strategy is give some equity to, to leverage some of those relationships. Like how do you focus on a partner program that just doesn't fizzle out right when you start?
1: Yeah, so the first thing is uh, just like any good company that is, um, having product market fit and really knowing what their focus is, you build an ICP. Uh, You do the same with your partners. You build an ideal partner profile and the simplest way I can describe it is start with how the client can, uh, let me backtrack. You create the different categories of the types of partners that you could work with. So maybe you could integrate with some other technologies. Maybe you could work with some agencies or consultants. Maybe there are some brand plays that you can have where you can associate with some of the cool brands. Uh, categorize them into these different buckets. And then from there, start with how does the client win in the interaction with this type of company? So for example, if it's a technology company, the client wins because they get more success through using our platforms together. And, you know, you can get even more specific. Maybe our platform can give another platform more data so their reporting is better. So that's a win for the client. Great, so I got that down. What's the win for the partner? Well, they can, you know, sell more of their software, or, you know, they can have better retention because there's more integrations, because in general, as you have more integrations, retention goes higher. Um, And so great, you know, they can get more revenue and it's better retention. Awesome, so I know how the partner wins. Now I do, how do I win? And the reason it's in this order is because if you start with how you win, then you're going to focus on, you know, oh, I get net new revenue. When in reality, it'll be longer retention, um, faster deal cycles, It'll be longer lifetime uh, value for clients, more success stories with clients, a bigger, better together story of how do we actually play in the ecosystem? So going through that process from client win to partner win to your win, uh, you can then understand what's the value proposition, because I know how the people win. And what can I say when I go to speak to them? Hey, there's this opportunity for us to interact together, and this is how you're going to win. So let's work on it because you know there's a mutual piece of value here. So doing that will help you bucket these different messaging pieces. And also you can start organizing the different uh, accounts and personas into these different buckets as well. So I'd say that's step number one, because it informs everything else.
0: That is so fantastic, man. We could talk for hours and hours and hours, but we have to start wrapping up here as well. Final question I like to ask every single guest on the show. If you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? I actually thought
1: about this the other day and it's something I've thought about um, time and time again, it would probably be life 101. and what it would focus on is definitely taxes, but also get that out of the way just so that you know how to do taxes and what it all means, but then also focusing on what are the foundational things that we need in life. So for me, I believe that that is a health, healthy sleeping schedule, a healthy eating um, habit, and then also staying physically active those core things have been the key to my success and what i see constantly recommended by the most successful people in the world is if your sleep isn't right if you're not eating right and if you're not active then you're probably not going to be performing as optimally as you should And I am a a very strong believer of that because I can say without having any business background and not really having any kind of direction in where I wanted to go or even role models that I had, I felt I, I never had a role model, having those foundational things not only one taught me the skills of how I can manage myself, two, how I can grow myself and really challenge myself through that. But three, it also gave me some role models because I started consuming that information. I, you know, would watch YouTube videos about best ways to work out and safely and in a healthy way, you know, food, same thing, business success, uh, same thing as well. Sleep. It gave me these role models that I can then look to when I have, you know, my lower points where I think, okay, well, if I'm feeling down or feeling like I'm not achieving as much as I'd like, what do I need to focus on? Well, it's the foundational things. So let me go back to that. And I can tell you, a lot of those things don't cost a lot of money. Obviously, you need to buy food and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you can go for a walk for 30 minutes and that can change the entire course of your day. So I would say life 101 would be something that I'd be extremely passionate about teaching because it sets up the foundation for all other success.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. This is so fantastic. Well, everything you do in life is going to help you in business, and everything in in business is going to help you in life. So um more power to you, man! And I would absolutely take that class from you if if you were uh, if you were teaching it. So, all right, all right. Where can people learn more about you and everything else you have going on?
1: Uh, I got a lot. Most of it's going to be on LinkedIn. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I post content about basically everything we talked about today. Um, I have a podcast as well. It's called Howdy Partners. And uh, that actually might be good for you, Tyler. It's uh, focused on the tactical side of building partnerships. And then of course, um, I'm over at Partner Hacker, which is a media company that focuses on educating the market on how to go about partnerships. Partnerhacker.com, it's completely free. We have a newsletter, we throw events, and we're throwing a really cool one, November 7th to the 11th
0: called the PLX Summit. And it doesn't matter what role you're in, you're going to want to be there. Absolutely, man. Well, I know I learned a ton from today's episode. So you're doing your job really well. And I know all of the listeners did as well. So thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your